ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yo, what's up? What's going on? What's good, everybody? That's right. It is the Boxing Source Super Bowl Halftime Special. We getting it in. We're going to be talking boxing here during halftime. I know that there will be you know, some people that will watch the halftime show or whatnot. But you know what? I wanted to just get this in here so we can just talk boxing. I know that we had like a good number of action uh, that happened uh, yesterday uh, that you know we'll be talking about. Uh, here real quick and also we want to drop in a few news and notes around the uh boxing circles um because you know we've had news in reference to uh one particular fighter that you know if some people have uh, paid attention during the first half of the super bowl you've seen that particular fighter included in one of the commercials so we'll be talking about that and also want to drop in uh, other topics that have been uh, happening within the boxing world, including this whole little back and forth with this Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia thing, man. Like, come on, man. We, Oscar De La Hoya, come on, man. Just, 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 just go ahead and simmer down and, and calm down, okay? But we'll get into that here in a little bit. But first, we wanted to just drop in as far as like what happened. Uh, over in San Antonio, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, you had in the main event for the vacant WBC Super Featherweight Championship, Ray Vargas versus Oshaki Foster. Ray Vargas came in there with an unbeaten record. He was a two-division world champion. He won a world title at Featherweight, won a world title at Super Bantamweight. Uh, just going up here to see if he could claim a world championship in the Super Featherweight Division, 130 pounds against Oshaki Foster. Oshaki uh, came in there as the top-ranked contender in the WBC rankings, you know, um, and the thing about it is is that, you know, he uh, was, you know, working his way up to this particular point uh, where, you know, he could fight for a world title. Um, and, you know, he was able to get this opportunity against Ray Vargas, and the thing about it is, is that there were – uh, some people, you know, going into this fight thinking, you know, Ray Vargas is there. Like I said, undefeated record, um, you know, was uh, more notable for many uh, in, in, you know, boxing circles as uh, someone that who uh, would be a three-division champion. He tried to uh, go in there and repeat the feat that the WBO Super Featherweight Champion uh, recently accomplished, you know, uh, there. Um as you know, we had the thing uh, last week, or what what it was like last Friday, uh, so to speak. Uh, there, you know, where uh, Liam Wilson, you know, ended up uh, falling short uh, to Emmanuel Navarrete, who, like I said, was WBO champion at 122 and WBO champion 126 to get a stoppage victory over Liam Wilson. Uh, their ninth round TKO victory uh, that was last or last uh, Friday, right? Uh, but here Ray Vargas tried to repeat the feat here against Oshaki Foster, uh, who came in there with a record of 20 wins and two losses against Ray Vargas. Uh, that came in with a record of 36 and 0. And the thing about it was, it was like, well, you know, Ray Vargas, I think, came in there with a lot of confidence, um, but. Maybe he came in, you know, a little bit overconfident uh, as to, you know, what he could do there against Osaka Foster. Uh, Foster, you know, while he was the shorter fighter uh, and he was, you know, noticeably uh, shorter, it seemed like, there in, in, in this instance. Um, but, well, he didn't 
uh, have, you know, a reach disadvantage. Uh, he had a reach advantage of sorts, uh, so to speak. Uh, he's, you know, there with the 72 inch reach uh, there. Um, while, you know, it seemed like Ray Vargas, uh, you know, had a lot uh, uh, big advantage in reference to height, uh, the reach wasn't uh, much there. And also, uh, you, you had Oshaki Foster, uh, and you saw early, he was there as the faster fighter. And he was able to establish the jab early and often, uh, came in there, you know, with an orthodox style, uh, was, you know, beating Ray Vargas to the punch um, on multiple occasions in the first round, um, was very successful in the, with the jab, uh, and kind of like kept a good amount of distance away from Ray Vargas for Ray Vargas to really get started. And so uh, you seen like in the early rounds, Ray Vargas was just trying to figure out how we would be able to attack Oshaki Foster instead of just, you know, throwing punches. So you've seen uh, Ray Vargas like throw a lot of feints or, you know, come in, moving his head a lot in and out, uh, but still wasn't really opening up as far as like starting off with the jab and then trying to follow up with that. So Oshaki Foster was able to build, you know, at least to me, a big lead in this particular bout, you know, by being first to punch, uh, being able to just establish himself with a jab and be patient with that and keep a good defensive stance, you know, while in the orthodox position so that, you know, a lot of times that Ray Vargas was throwing punches, a lot of them were getting caught by the arms, uh, there by Oshaki Foster or they were getting blocked. Uh, Oshaki Foster. So uh, you really had something where, hey, Foster was uh, getting a very good start uh, there in reference to uh, what was happening uh, over those first few rounds. And, you know, you, you did have some uh, instances where Ray Vargas landed a couple of shots there on Oshaki Foster, was able to, you know, back Oshaki Foster to the ropes. But, you know, that didn't really build too much of anything. Uh, you did have it to where, you know, we tried to establish a left hook to land on Oshaki Foster. But uh, the left hooks that did land really didn't, you know, affect Foster as much. And then on the flip side, you know, uh, Foster, you know, was very successful with the jab and was able to establish a cut uh, that was, you know, on the side of the eye there of Ray Vargas. So. Um, you had that type of uh, thing there for the first half of the fight. And, you know, what it ended up happening was you just had Oshaki Foster kind of like dictate the pace over the majority of the fight. You know, uh, Ray Vargas, you know, while he was someone that kind of like is a, um, you know, lanky, uh, has that lanky build, seems to be, you know, tall and you would think that he would kind of like try to establish a uh, jab and then try to work inside from that. He wasn't able to do that. And also, you know, on the inside, Osaki Foster would not allow Ray Vargas to, you know, try to work on the inside, get in some hooks, some uppercuts uh, to, you know, really affect um, Foster over the course of the bout, you know. And while there was, you know, midway through the fight, you kind of like seeing a couple of rounds that could have been, you know, in favor of Ray Vargas. It wasn't anything that kind of like seriously shifted the momentum over on Vargas' side. And, you know, we got to around the ninth and 10th round where you kind of seen Osaki Foster really work, um, work on Ray Vargas. And the Vargas seemed to be uh, tiring in the 10th and particularly the 11th rounds, um, where in many cases the, you know, footing for Ray Vargas was way off. Uh, he was slipping and, you know, falling to the canvas a couple of times. Uh, and that showed that, you know, his legs weren't necessarily there, you know, in this particular bout. Uh, so uh, he was, you know, I would say trying to get through those last three rounds or, you know, the championship rounds are there in uh, 11 and 12 uh, to, you know, try to finish out the fight. But did go through, you know, the full 12 rounds and it went to the scorecards and it was a unanimous decision. Uh, all judges in favor for Oshaki Foster to become the 
WBC super featherweight champion, and he hands Ray Vargas his first professional loss. Uh, you have the scores of 119 to 109, 117, 111, and 116, 112. So you had one judge that gave Oshaki Foster every single round but one. And I think uh, there, if I look up the name, Alejandro Roshim, I think he had just the first round in favor of Ray Vargas, and then everything else was in favor of Oshaki Foster. And with the other two judges, one of them gave Foster nine rounds and gave Vargas three, and David Sutherland gave Ray Vargas four rounds there. So you you only had um, you know one judge give <laughs> Ray Vargas four rounds, and for me, I thought it was you know basic, basically not even like three rounds, I would say around three rounds at best, uh, at least through eight. I had um, Oshaki Foster ahead six rounds to two, um, you know, after eight completed rounds. And so I think it was a very, very good and efficient performance here from Oshaki Foster uh, over the course of this bout, you know, according to, you know, CompuBox uh, statistics, uh, Foster landed 43 more shots uh, over the course of the bout. Uh, and, you know, he actually threw a lot more uh, there. And that was, that was the thing that I think a number of fight fans were surprised about was the uh, lack of offensive output uh, there from Ray Vargas. You know, uh, Ray Vargas had, um, you know, like I said, came in there uh, with, you know, a – Kind of like a seller record, like I said, it came in there undefeated, 36 wins, no losses coming into the bout. Um, and that, you know, he had though that win over Mark McSayo last year, um, had like a couple of wins over Azat Hovindasian, Ronnie Rios uh, back in uh, Super Bantamweight, um, and also Oscar Negret uh, there at Super Bantamweight. Uh, but uh, it looked like he, you know, kind of, went up there uh, to kind of, you know, snatch a world title uh, there at Super Featherweight, and, you know, after just winning the WBC belt at Featherweight with a split decision win over Mark McSire. Uh So, you know, we tried to get in. Like I said, uh, had a world title 122, won the world title at 126 last year, and then the next fight tried to get a world title at 130. Uh, but he just fell short, and, you know, that was the thing. It was just that he um, was, uh, I guess, he bit a little bit too much uh, that he could really uh, chew there, uh, so to speak, going up against uh, Oshaki Foster. Now, uh, um, real good quick shout-out to uh, those that are listening live. Like I said, it's the Boxing Source Super Bowl halftime, especially we talk of boxing uh, during halftime of the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, some people – you know, probably, you know, feeling pretty good about what's happening right now. And, you know, you got some people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, happy about what's happening right now. Um, I'm not necessarily happy about what's happening right now. But we'll see what happens there in the second half of that. All right. Uh, but, you know, going back into this thing here with the fight with those Shaki Foster and Ray Vargas. Um, you know, Vargas, <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about, you know, after the fight. Immediately after the fight, he was talking about like he 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 was you know talking to was it uh, Jim Gray there like you know he, he says that he he didn't think it was a fair decision he didn't agree with it uh, he thought it was like you know much closer than they saw <laughs> than, than, than than the judges may have thought I don't know what he was talking about because like I said he he was getting beat to the punch multiple occasions they were you know it's at least in the first half of the fight. You've seen that Ray Vargas was very reluctant to throw shots because, one, there were some counters, some good counters coming back from Oshaki Foster. And, two, there were a number of times where, you know, Ray Vargas was a little bit out of range from where Oshaki Foster was standing. So when Ray Vargas was throwing the jab, you know, or trying to throw the jab, it wasn't really getting to the target. And also, I really didn't feel like his jab really had that much emphasis on it. And you kind of like seeing that you uh, see uh, Foster really snap the jab uh, there over the course of the fight. 
against Ray Vargas. So that's why I feel like, you know, Foster just <laughs> significantly uh, had an advantage uh, there in this fight. So uh, shout out to Shockey Foster there for winning the WBC uh, Super Featherweight title. Uh, I think that, you know, he might have a few defenses to make first, um, you know, as it is a vacant title, you know, with the uh, rules there uh, for the WBC, usually what happens is uh, you end up winning a vacant title. Uh, you would have to, you know, make defenses against the next couple of people or next fighters uh, there that are within the rankings. And um, well, as of right, right now, um, Oshaki Foster was at number one here. Um, Eduardo Hernandez uh, is ranked number two currently in the WBC, unless, uh, you know, they have recently updated the rankings. Uh, they have Oscar Valdez there at number three, but Oscar Valdez looks like he's going to be going for the WBO title there against Emmanuel Navarrete as, you know, he was supposed to uh, fight Navarrete uh, for the WBO title uh, that previous Friday, but ended up not doing that uh, due to injury. So that's how Liam Wilson ended up being the opponent for Emmanuel Navarrete there. So uh, Oscar Valdez looks like he's out. Conceição, uh, mm, yeah, I don't see that necessarily happening. Um, but I see one interesting fighter there in the rankings in the WBC at number six, and that is Leo Santa Cruz. And so you might see Leo Santa Cruz as a possible opponent, therefore Chucky Foster, or Leo Santa Cruz could face Hector Luis Garcia there for the WBA title. So that's, you know, two uh, potential bouts there that Leo Santa Cruz could have at 130 pounds. But you know, with Oshaki Foster, he says that, you know, even if there's, you know, those uh, uh, mandatory obligations there, he also, you know, wants to see about going after the bell holders. I did mention Hector Luis Garcia. Yes, Luis, uh, Hector Luis Garcia did lose to Devontae Davis on January 7th in Washington, D.C., but that was at 135 pounds. Uh, we know that Hector Luis Garcia is uh, back down to 130 pounds, so we'll see what uh, Hector Garcia does here in his first defense of that WBA belt. You also have there at IBF, Shavkat Rakhimov, uh, but I think uh, that he is uh, scheduled to face, what is it, uh, Joe Cordina? Uh, that could be uh, his next bout uh, there. So I could uh, just go ahead and confirm that. Yep. And that will be on April 22nd in Cardiff uh, that Rockamon will go ahead and face uh, Joe Cordina. So that is supposed to be um, Rockamon's first defense there of that IBF title. So there's been like a lot of, you know, mixing around there at the top of 130 when it comes to those world titles. Uh, so you're going to have a good amount of uh, activity there at the top of the 130-pound division. Uh, so we're going to see how that goes there. So, But you know, Shaka Foster, uh, you know, like I said, he worked his way up to getting to this particular point. Uh, he had, you know, two early losses uh, there with his uh, latest one being in 2016. But uh, he was able to, you know, win uh, about what I say about what is that like ten fights or so uh, before this bout here against Ray Vargas, and uh, he pretty much had one of probably the better performances of his career of uh, there against Ray Vargas uh, to win the WBC Super Featherweight Championship. So, um, you know, shout out to him for getting that. And uh, the other thing here, too, is you had uh, in the co-feature bout uh, Mario Barrios uh, there that, you know, won against Giovanni Santiago. Uh, this was at a, uh, what is it, 147-pound type fight uh, there. Uh, you know that uh, Barrios uh, had been at 147 for his bout against Keith Thurman. That was a WBC welterweight title eliminator. Uh, and he ended up losing by <laughs> by a um, lopsided decision uh, there uh, to Keith Thurman. Um, also, he did lose uh, to Tank Davis at 140 before moving up to 147. 
Um, and then you had Giovanni Santiago, who had that you know close loss to Adrian Broner, and then got blown out by Gary Antoine Russell before getting into this particular bout. Uh, and here it was just uh, pretty much like the Mario Barrio show. He won every single round. Uh, he was looking, you know, fairly sharp, uh, really good uh, there over the course of those rounds. Uh, Santiago was, you know, a tough, tough hombre, as they say. Uh, but he just was no match there for Mario Barrios. Uh, you know, Barrios was able to score a knockdown in the eighth round uh, there. <laughs> and then after uh, Santiago got up, it was just an onslaught from, you know, Mario Barrios that, you know, ended up having the corner for Giovanni Santiago to throw in the towel. So it was a eighth round stop of the victory there for Mario Barrios. Uh, he does win a version of what is this? Continental America's welterweight championship. Um, so he is now 27 and two uh, there in his professional career. Um, I'll see, you know, what it means as far as like him, when when it comes to the uh wbc rankings as you know he had been part of an eliminator against keith thurman uh but you know before this bout he was there at number 10 in the wbc rankings so maybe uh they'll have a couple of fights uh, there that's uh out there for him that he could potentially have i know that the uh jamal james uh former world champion uh, has a bout coming up uh over in minnesota and uh that is you know against alberto palmetta uh in uh was that uh february 25th so that's you know a couple weeks you know maybe mario barrios could face the winner of that fight and that could kind of like determine you know who could stay in there as a contender in the welterweight division now you know you had uh, mario barrios you know in there uh with bob santos uh, of course, who, you know, trains multiple fighters uh, that was, you know, considered by many as the trainer of the year. Not by the boxing source, though. That was Derek James. Derek James was a 2022 boxing source trainer of the year. But, you know, Bob Santos did have a very good 2022. Um, you know, 2023, of course, you know about, you know, what happened with Hector Luis Garcia. Um, but here with, you know, Mario Barrios, he was, you know, successful in that particular bout. And also, I think he was uh, in the corner of Linear Perro, uh, who was part of the opening bout there in the Showtime telecast, who won by TKO in the eighth round against Victor Faust. And that one, it was a, you know, ended up being like a weird situation. Because it looked like Victor Faust was winning and bout. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, um, you had Perro, you know, throw like a left jab and then throw a dungeon right that landed onto the uh, body of Victor Faust. And Victor Faust had a delayed reaction that, you know, made him turn over a little bit and walk away from. Uh, linear peril and you know after like a combination uh, thrown by linear peril the referee Rafael Ramos stepped in and stopped the bout there in the eighth round so uh, linear peril you know stays undefeated there was where that was a heavyweight fight against two undefeated fighters there uh, pretty much like around the same level and uh, linear peril was able to get the stoppage victory so he approves nine and zero and that, you know, kind of like uh, makes him, you know, there as far as like the number of uh, those uh, prospects and everything like that. Uh, shout out to, you know, those listening live chat. Uh, shout out to, uh, you know, Big Blunts and Boxing. Hey, we're talking boxing, you know, during the halftime, you know, show or whatnot or during halftime of the Super Bowl. Uh, he said Big Blunts and Boxing. Hey, hey man, you know, I'm a fan of boxing. Uh, but uh, the other thing. Uh, I might have to. I might have to get with you later on that one. You know what I'm saying? I might have to get with you later on that. All right. Uh, but you know, like I said, you had uh, that uh, Showtime telecast uh, there. You know, uh, last night uh, with like um, 
you know, Shaki Foster, uh, you know, getting the win uh, there over Ray Vargas. And, you know, I kind of like felt like it was something where Shaki Foster was going to go ahead and get that win. Um, just, you know, revisiting that real quick. I mean, I, I, I kind of like felt that one because, you know, for some that, you know, watched last year or kind of like watched the career of Ray Vargas, yes, he's had, you know, a number of good wins over the course of his professional career, but, you know, it's, it's just, it was just something about Ray Vargas that just didn't stand out, you know, so to speak, when it came to, okay, he's like, bam, or he, he would be like, like how some people kind of like view Leo Santa Cruz, you know, up to a certain point, you know, or um, maybe a few other fighters that were, you know, out there had them around the division, you know, like, you know, longtime WBC champion, Russell Jr., you know, or uh, other fighters there that were at 126. You know, you had Shakur Stevenson at one point, 126. Oscar Valdez was there at 126. You know, it moved up. Um, of course, Emmanuel Navarrete was there at 126 before, you know, moving up and getting that 130-pound title there. But, you know, with Ray Vargas, of course, he had, like, an injury where he was out for, like, a couple of years. Then he got back into it. Um, and, you know, he, you know, won, still won a few bouts uh, before having that fight against Mark McSile for the WBC featherweight title. And, you know, even with that, he, you know, he even – he was, you know, getting dropped in, in in that particular bout, you know, and he was still, you know, able to get a split decision victory over Mark McSyle to win that WBC featherweight title and, uh, you know, just getting right back in it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, uh, shout out to the bad boy in the building here on, on the live. You know, like I said, it's the Bison Sword Super Bowl halftime special. I know some people are, you know, kind of like watching what's going down in the halftime show or whatnot. You know, shout out, shout out to the shout out to the lady. I'm telling you, she she bad, but I'm gonna be real. I'm only concerned about where when she's over there for crop over. For those that know, all right. But back into it. Um, yeah, back to the thing with Ray Parkers, right? So he has that close win over Mark McSyle. Um, and for some, some people felt like Mark McSyle. Didn't really win that. Didn't really win that belt against Gary Russell Jr. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but either way, that ended up being the first defense for Mark Maxile, and he ended up losing. Uh, but now Ray Vargas went ahead and moved up for that vacant belt at 130. He ended up losing, and he said, you know, even though it was he disputes the decision, he respects it, and he says that he's going to go back down to 126. So that's going to be interesting because, you know, we got, you know, coming up for the interim WBC belt, you got Mark McSyle going up against Brandon Figueroa. So he could have the winner of that particular bout going up against Ray Vargas later this year. And I think that Brandon Figueroa, Mark McSyle bout is going to be a really good bout, you know, between those two guys there at 126. But, you know, like I said, Ray Vargas, has his first loss of his professional career. We'll see what happens with him uh, when he goes back down to 126. Um, and, you know, like I said, I also talked about, you know, the whole thing there, um, you know, with Mario Barrios getting to stop his man over Giovanni Santiago. You know, both of those guys have really had their careers, the majority of careers uh, there at 140. Well, with the thing with Mario Barrios, he actually had started his career down at what, like, 122 pounds or something like that and now he's at 147 that's crazy you know uh but he's still there he's going to be a uh contender of sorts there at 147 pounds um so we're going to see what what's next for him like i said uh you could have him face the winner of jamal james versus alberto palmetta uh which is coming up here in you know a couple weeks so that's gonna be more um where you could uh have these welterweights kind of like sort things out there in the middle section of the welterweight uh, rankings or so before getting up there to the higher rankings. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, outside of that, you really didn't have that much uh, going down. Uh, next week, you've got, uh, what is it, Lee Wood there against Mauricio Lara. Uh, and I know that Lee Wood, you know, 
<laughs> Lee Wood came through for me last year. Uh, you know, we, when when he had the knockout of the year. That's right, he had the knockout of the year, man. Give a shout out to uh, he he sent he sent Mick Collin straight. <laughs> he sent him straight to the ropes. You know what I mean? He sent him straight to the ropes, man. You know, um, and he had the knockout of the year. Uh, it was one of the better fights of the year there against McConnell, you know, but, um, you know, now he has this uh, the, another defense of that WBA title there against Mauricio Lara. And, you know, this is the same Mauricio Lara that, you know, kind of beat the, <laughs> beat the smacking out of Josh Warrington in their first fight. And if it wasn't for the head, hey, hey, I'm gonna be straight up, man. If it wasn't for the head clash, man, I was thinking that yo, he was gonna get Josh Warrington once again, you know. And I find it pretty interesting, you know, that even after that, you know, technical decision uh draw there, right? It didn't even like it didn't even go past two rounds. I found it interesting that he didn't revisit fighting, you know, Mauricio Lara. But guess what? Hey, he ended up fighting. This is Josh Warrington. He fought Luis Alberto Lopez and still ended up losing. So I don't know what's going to be next there for Josh Warrington. But as far as Mauricio Lara goes, he could have another instance of where he could beat another one of those UK fighters. I know that some people really think that that kind of like half his depth, you know, but Mauricio Lara. As long as uh, he doesn't really get affected uh, much from uh, Lee Wood's punches, then a, it could be a long night there for Lee Wood. Um, now, Lee Wood, you know, had won that WBA belt with a very good performance against Kanzu in 2021. Uh, but, you know, this is somebody that, you know, did also lose to Jazza Dickens back back in, uh, what was that, uh, 2020. So, uh, it's it's hit or miss, you know what I'm saying, uh, when it comes to this thing here with uh, Lee Wood and uh, Mauricio Lara. So, you know, definitely uh, looking uh, forward to that particular bout there uh, coming up next Saturday. Um, and I said, like, uh, you know, in the 25th, you know, we got some action there. Uh, like I said, Jamal James versus Alberto Palmetto. Uh, you got Silvio Matias versus Jeremiah Ponzi there for the IBF super lightweight title. That's going to be a good scrap there. Um, as you know, Subrio Matias uh, looks like he was uh, going on um, a great, great uh, streak, you know, after his lone loss uh, that he had, uh, that he was able to avenge actually uh, there against Petros Ananyan. Uh, but, you know, with his Sabbath wins over Malik Hawkins, Bader Jukumbayev and uh, Petros, you know, like I said, in the rematch with Petros Nanyan, that put him in position to fight for the world title here against Jeremiah Ponce. And Jeremiah Ponce is there undefeated. And, hey, hey, some people saying that Ponce might get him, you know. Uh, you know, Ponce's there, 30 and 0. Uh, you know, has the uh, record there with 20 of those wins by way of knockout. Um well traveled, so to speak. You know, he's from Argentina, so hey, you you might get one of them good little scraps there in in the uh, Armory of Minneapolis, uh, there for that vacant IBF belt. But also, you know, you got uh, what's happening uh, there um, on uh, what is that? Also with that co-feature, like I said, uh, you had Jamal James. Uh, going up against Alberto Palmetto and Elvis Rodriguez against Joseph Adorno as part of that card. Uh, back on the live chat here real quick. Uh, we're going to revisit this one more time. Wood versus Mauricio Lara, man. Hey, man. Mauricio Lara be coming in there. Like I said, he he beat up he beat up Josh Warren, <laughs> He, I'm sorry, yo. But it, it was just, it's just that whole situation with, with Josh Warrington at that time. Um, you know, he, you know, had the IBF belt for a good a good while. Uh, there are a number of uh, suggestions for him unifying. Um, he could have unified against Gary Russell Jr. That didn't quite work out. Gary Russell Jr. actually addressed that in an interview that I had with him some time back. 
Um, they also were talking about him potentially fighting Shakur Stevenson in a unification belt. Uh, but that didn't necessarily happen. Um, it was like some type of situation where uh, he could have unified or he could have, you know, fought the uh, mandatory or something like that. Uh, he didn't end up doing that. So he ended up fighting Mauricio Lara. <laughs> Mauricio Lara beat the snot out of him. I'm sorry, he beat the snot out of him, right? And so after that, they had a rematch. Mauricio Lara looked like he was going to beat up again, but then, you know, had the head clash. So that, that fight didn't happen. But Lee Wood, like I said, had a good win to win that WBA belt. But I, I'm sorry, man. I, I think that I think that Lara's going to get him, man. I think that <laughs> I think that Lara's going to get him. Uh, Josh Warrington, <laughs> I've seen that some people have their thoughts about Josh Warrington. I'm telling you, man, he he be he be uh would it would it be that inside game, man? He he be having a rough inside game. I'm gonna tell you that. You know, I'm gonna definitely tell you that. Josh Warrington has a, a real rough inside game. So uh, you know, for you to feel that way, I kind of see where that's coming from. Uh, but you know, thing there with, with Lee Wood, yeah, hey, he gonna have he gonna have his hands for Mauricio Lara, man. I'm going to just say that. And don't be surprised, man. I might, you know what? You know, if they have like these, you know, pick them, uh, you know, weeks or whatever it is where they have the uh, list of fights and you can pick them. Man, I, I, yo, know, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for Mauricio Lara in this one, man. I'm going to go ahead and do that, you know. So, hey, it's going to be, that's going to be a real interesting bout there, you know, next week, man. Um. So here, here's another one uh, here, uh, you know, while we're on the Super Bowl halftime special uh, question here. Which fight do you think does more pay-per-view numbers? Tank versus Ryan or Crawford versus Spence? Tank versus Ryan. Uh, this is something that, you know, we kind of like talked about. I mean, it, it's been talked about for a while in reference to both fights. Um the thing with uh, Crawford versus Spence is, you know, even though a number of people within the boxing community and boxing circles, you know, really anticipated that bout, it would have been for the Undisputed Welterweight Championship. The projected numbers for that weren't necessarily kind of like up to what some people may expect it to be. Um, you know, my projected numbers were around like 350,000 or 400,000 pay-per-view buys for that. But um, for those that, you know, are, are on Twitter, um, we have, uh, you know, spaces, Twitter spaces there. Uh, we have Lazy Lefty there, Lefty with uh, Chicken Talk. And in an interview or, you know, conversation with the Showtime Sports president, Stephen Espinoza, last week, uh, he pretty much, like, projected Tank versus Ryan to go over 700,000 pay-per-view buys. You know, you talked about, you know, having an over under pay-per-view buys for Tank Ryan. And, you know, it said around like 600,000, 700,000. And Seaman said over 700,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, you know, it, it is something where, you know, you have the, the um, what I would say, like the overall interest or popularity of both of those fighters, you know, yeah. Um, yep, you see, and the popularity of both of those fighters, you know, from a sports perspective, social media perspective, whatever, this, you know, has that capability of, you know, having that be an event. It's one thing to have a fight. It's another thing to have an event. And Tank versus Ryan is an event. And if you have, it, to me, it's just like another kind of like thing where you have, you know, Floyd Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya all over again. You know, as far as like an event is concerned, you know, not just a fight, but an event. And so you're going to have, you know, various people talking about it. I, I, I'll say this, you know, I, I was over in, uh, you know, Vegas last week and, you know, my cousin, his friends, you know, a few other people, you know, they were talking about Tank versus Ryan. They weren't talking about, you know, this thing there with, you know, Spencer Crawford. They were talking about Tank. They're talking about the Tank fight, you know. And, you know, even though, you know, he's there based in Vegas, 
and whatnot. He don't really kind of like talk, you know, much about, you know, boxing like that as far as like any type of boxing event or boxing match or boxing card. But he'll talk about events. And, hey, Tank, having Tank Davis is an event. <laughs> yeah, casuals, yeah, casuals. But, hey, the casual fans are the ones that make a fight being from 200, maybe 200 or so thousand pay-per-view buys from getting it to 500,000 and above, you know? And so if they're talking about a fight like that, you know, regardless of, you know, how we feel about, you know, in this case with Tank Ryan, that we highly favor Tank to win, they still see it as an event. And, it, and it's something that they just want to watch because it's an event. So, um, yeah, I'm seeing that being around like 700,000 pay-per-view buys or whatever it is. Or it might, you know, eclipse what Canelo did against Caleb Plant. So, and that one was around 775,000, around, around 800,000 pay-per-view buys. I thought it was around 800,000. But that's what Canelo, you know, um, and Caleb Plant. Are they, you know, as popular in the U.S. as Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia all across the board? I don't necessarily think so. So, I mean, you you got those two elements. So I, I see that as being a real big event, too big to fail. I just don't feel like it's going to happen on April 15th, though. I think this whole little back and forth with Oscar De La Fe- I mean, Oscar De La Hoya, um, he's kind of like doing damage control. And it's like he's trying to hold off on having this guy there, Ryan Garcia. But Ryan Garcia is like saying, hey, get this fight done. Rematch, no rematch. I don't care. Get this fight done. And it's almost reminded me of like the uh, class that they had some time back, you know, when um, they were trying to figure out like who Ryan Garcia was going to fight, whether it was like Romero Duno or somebody else, you know. So there's that, you know. Um uh, but I just think that's going to be a really big event whenever it happens, whether it's April or whatever. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, so it looks like you were you're over in the UK or something. He says, uh, you know, talking about how before the Fury Chisora 3 event there in the UK, uh, speak to a boxing fan, they hated it, but it sold 60,000 tickets uh, there in the UK for Fury Chisora. Yeah, because it, it was an event. Like, I mean, you, you have, um, what is it, like Wembley Stadium or you have uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium out there in the UK. Um, you have, like, a few other um, notable stadiums out there in, in the UK that, you know, they, they have these big events. Uh, you know, and I, I named those two. Like, you had Dylan White there at Wembley Stadium uh, versus Tyson Fury last year. And then he had uh, the Derek Chisora fight uh, there in Tottenham. And that was a large crowd. So it's, it's about, you know, being in the middle of an event with a large crowd, 60,000, 70,000 plus uh, there, you know, and, and, and it's an experience. Um, I know like one person that was, you know, out in the UK that went to one of those uh, Fury fights and he was like in the nosebleed seats, you know, and looking at that like a picture from where he was at it, it just shows like how large those stadiums are but the scene it just seems like something that you would want to go to you know so maybe one time I, i'll you know make a trip out there in the uk and uh you know watch one of those uh big events out there so so there's that um but uh you know i did like kind of like go through mostly everything um as far as like the uh previous event uh, that happened in San Antonio. Uh, like I said, you know, we just doing this here for the uh, Super Bowl halftime special. You know what I mean? Uh, the second half uh, is about to just go down here. But, you know, this is, like I said, we got this thing going on each week, uh, live Sundays. So, you know, we just stay consistent with that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, go back to the uh, second half of that. And, yes, this will be available um, for later listening here through YouTube and also through uh, audio versions on iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, you know, multiple audio platforms. So, you know, definitely going to be 
uh, out there with that. Oh, one other thing that I did want to talk about you know, before I close out, um, and this is with the uh, super lightweight situation. Okay, uh, you know, on the Boxing Source YouTube channel, we do have a full extended interview with the undefeated Gary Antoine Russell. Okay, and he did have a hit list of fighters that he wanted to fight at 140 pounds. And he said, number one is Regis Prograde. Number two is Josh Taylor. And number three is Teofimo Lopez. Now, that's a, that's a, hey, that's a big hit list there, you know. Um, and, you know, currently you got Antoine Russell there, ranked number three in the WBC rankings. And, you know, with uh, Regis Progress just winning the WBC title, it was a vacant WBC title. And uh, according to the WBC, usually if you win a vacant title, you have to defend that title against the next two higher, highest ranked contenders. Okay, cool. So you got, you know, Regis Progress there is a champ. You got at number one, that's right, number one. Teofimo Lopez. Well, Teofimo Lopez didn't necessarily want it. At one point, you had Mr. Jose Carlos Ramirez uh, there in the top two as well, but he said, no, nah, you know, I, I ain't quite ready for that right now. I'll go ahead and I'll fight Richard Coleman. So that leaves... You know Gary Antoine Russell. He's like, and I asked, I asked Gary Antoine Russell. I said, hey, if they called you and said, hey, Regis Pro Grace has the WBC belt, and he's looking for an opponent, and you got there, you're there at number three. Are you ready to rock? And he said, I'm ready right now. Well, hey, even with Gary Antoine Russell ready right now, something tells me that. He's not going to get that phone call. Hey, if he does, that's great. But something tells me he's not going to get that phone call. And something else tells me that it's potentially going to be Regis Progress in a one-off or at least a voluntary defense of sorts. And it could be against someone like Sandor Martin. Just, just putting the rumor out there. You know, I kind of like heard, heard, heard around the streets that, you know, Regis Pro Grace could have a title defense around his hometown. Now, if that's the case, Sandor Martin could be the guy. I mean, Sandor Martin is, you know, somebody that, you know, will be traveling, you know, to face. He's going to be the B side. He's not really going to be the A side for anything, just being straight up. So if you're going to have Regis Pro Grace, uh, have a title offense and it's going to be in Louisiana, then they'd be there against Sando Martin. You know what, though? Uh, he was a uh, Regis Progress was in attendance for that bout uh, between Osaki Foster and Ray Vargas. And I know that there were a couple people out there or I know about, I know people I know were out there in attendance for that. that I should have been able to say, hey, they should have got some information there from Regis Progress. But hopefully I could get some information or I could get in contact with the Progress team and see what's up with him, what would be his next title offense. But it's kind of like looking like he could face someone like Sandor Martin or someone else there within the WBC rankings. I'm not really all too uh, positive that could be Gary Antoine Russell. And also... You had the thing there with the WBA title where Alberto Puello is going to be facing Rolando Roli Romero. Yep, that's right. The same Roli Romero that lost to Gavante Tank Davis sometime back. Got knocked out by Tank Davis sometime back. Really hasn't done anything much uh, there. 
since then. You know, that has basically been his last fight was in last May against Tank Davis. But I'll say this. Roland Romero was in attendance for that vacant WBA title bout between uh, Alberto Puello and Bartar Akhmadov. Uh, that was in Hollywood, Florida last year. So maybe they were talking about him potentially fighting a winner back then, but I, I'm, I'm not all too certain, you know. But hey, you know, I, I'm not sure. But with, with uh, you know, Roly Romero being in the WBA rankings, and I thought he was just entered into the WBA rankings, but uh, apparently he was not. He's been there for a few months in the 140-pound rankings in the WBA. So, hey, looks like that's going to be the case. Um, and that, that is, you know, not all too cool. You know, you had Ismael Barroso. There's the top-rated uh, fighter there in the WBA rankings. Uh, you had, like, like I said, Gary Antoine Russell's been there in the rankings. Shojahan Urgent has been in there in the rankings. And, you know, apparently they're saying that, you know, word on the street is that a number of teams are very disappointed or very upset that Roly Romero is getting this potential world title shot. You know, uh, but, hey, if he gets his world title shot, they have the fight and Romero wins, that could, you know, bring some more interest into the 140-pound division of sorts. And, you know, maybe you could have a fight against Roley Romero if he ends up winning the belt there against Alberto Puello. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, that's mostly what I got. Um, shout out to, you know, those in the live chat. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and also... Big ups to those that will be uh, listening in. It that will be listening in uh, here through, like I said, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. It's available through all of that. Um, so that's pretty much what I got. Um, we'll get back into it with the boxing talk next week, next Sunday. Uh, we're hopefully going to have uh, more interviews available for y'all through the YouTube boxing channel. Be sure to like and subscribe on that. And hey, like I say at the end of every show, folks, important boxing is a hit and I can hit. Not understanding trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody.